Welcome to Brotherly Pod. It is Tuesday, March 30th, 2021 here. Uh, Anthony is back as always. Anthony, how are you doing? Not bad, man. Coming down off of that clash of the Titans last night between the Flyers <laughs> and Sabres. Oh, yeah. It was a it was a phenomenal game, that's for sure. And they escaped by the skin of their teeth. But uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, we got uh, a guest on today. Uh, Kevin O from the uh, Winnipeg Jets is joining us. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, fellas. Uh, yeah, a n- lot less drama here. Uh, you know, with a an easy victory for the Winnipeg Jets last night over the Calgary Flames. Uh, with all apologies to Daryl Sutter and Johnny Goudreau and all their <laughs> drama over there, uh, the, the Jets will take it and uh, stay near the top of the North Division standings. Twenty-two, twelve, and two are the Jets. They're in a complete dogfight right now with the Oilers and Leafs. How are they uh, looking this year? Uh, well, they're, you know what, they're good, right? They look good. On some nights, they're absolutely baffling as to why they have been as good as they have been. And the big reason, of course, as everyone knows, uh, when you got a Vezina Trophy sitting over on your mantle, is Connor Hellebuck because they have tendencies where they're an absolute train wreck in their own end. And uh, you wonder how it is that they get it done. Well, they've got some real good scoring forwards, obviously. Some suspect players on the blue line and that chemistry coming together. Uh, but the goaltender has bailed them out time and time again. So here we are in a dogfight with Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, and then whoever else uh, jumps up to take that fourth spot, Montreal, Calgary, uh, I don't think it's going to be Vancouver. I don't think it's going to be Calgary either. I think Montreal might get it by default. But it's 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 an absolute, you know, puzzle at the top of the North Division because of the way things kind of break down. Winnipeg can't seem to control Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl when they play Edmonton. So Edmonton beats Winnipeg, but Winnipeg can beat Toronto, but Toronto can beat Edmonton. So the math uh, just leaves you scratched in your head. It's all going to come down to... A coin flip in the playoffs. Whoever the four teams are, as good as they all are, as talented as they all are, they're also all flawed. And therefore, you get coin flip situations, injuries, goaltending, luck, whatever is going to decide things in the postseason. And we can't wait to get there. Uh, The the fingers crossed here in Winnipeg is that uh, the the Winnipeg Jets are still as healthy as they have been, knock on anything would, including my thick head. Um, you, you know, that, that they can get there and be able to compete when it all matters. 
Well, you already kind of brought it up, but no team gives up more chances against than the <laughs> Winnipeg Jets other than the Vancouver Canucks. But on the back of Vesna caliber goaltending from Connor Hallebuck and a very high shooting percentage because of some of their high-end forwards, they're making it work. But is this style of play by design from Paul Maurice because he knows what kind of tools he has? Well, he claims it is. If you're buying what the coach is selling, uh, you know, he, he always brings up, uh, you know, people say, oh, he's been in the league, you know, for the third longest uh, coach. And uh, that you look at the tenure and him and John Cooper have been around the longest in the same gig. Uh, and he always brings up their own internal analytical number. So it's not like he just ignores the data that is out there. He's very much well aware of it. He always says their numbers skew a little different and they have a game plan that plays into their strengths. And, you know, it, when you keep piling up wins and you are where you are in the standings, uh, you, you have to start to believe it. You have to give some respect to that theory that they are coaching to what they have here, coaching to their strengths, and they rely on elite shooters. The reality is they have elite shooters, and they you know, shipped off a guy that everybody thought was a generational scorer early in the season, and the guy that they brought in for him in Pierre-Luc Dubois, I know he had one last night from you know long distance, and uh, you know we had some new line combinations last night, and it was fun, but... Pierre-Luc Dubois hasn't put up big numbers here, but Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, the addition or the reacquisition of Paul Stasny, uh, they've been absolute dynamite, and they know, right? They know that when they get a rush opportunity, if they get a chance in transition, that there's a high percentage chance that they're going to finish. So we look at expected goals, right? Expected goals for Kyle Connor, you know, if he's taking a shot from four feet from the net and, you know, uh, take an example of, I don't know, someone from, uh, who did we see last night? Uh, Sam Bennett, right? You got that same player four feet out. A lot of expected goals models will say you have the equal opportunity of putting that in. But the reality is Kyle Connor's going to finish nine out of 10 times and Sam Bennett is going to finish two out of 10 times from there. Right. And, and that's what the Jets bank on. So they claim it's by design, and uh, I would pick it apart and argue if they would be at the bottom of the standings, but they're not. Well, you, you mentioned Dubois. How is that trade, you know, well, what's the fallout of that? You know, how have they replaced Lainey and Roslovic, and how has Dubois played overall for the Jets so far? Well, Roslovic was a bit part, right? He didn't fit in here. He didn't accept the role that was the only role that was available to him, and it's no fault of his Sorry, he's not Nikolai Ehlers. He's not Cal Connor, right? He's not Blake Wheeler. And he, when he was given the opportunity in the top six, and he was over the course of his time here through injuries, uh, you know, he rode Nikolai Ehlers, was out last year for six weeks. Rosovic played up in the top six for a majority of the time. I mean, and when you lost Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, you know, slipped into uh, to play in the middle. Or, and, or um, you know, the Brian Little situation last year, Rosvick had lots of opportunity here, right? And he's been kind of, he's been good in Columbus, uh, but it's exactly kind of what you see, right? Young player, not real consistent, can have a great week. He was a, had a hat trick and a four-point game here and was player of the week, and everybody thought, oh, he's ready to, uh, to take off. And then it's crickets for the next month and a half. So uh, ultimately disappointing. He didn't want to be here given his opportunity we understand that he moves along 
Uh, Patrick Line, a whole different story because much beloved by the fan base, as you can well imagine, for what he can do. And absolutely electrifying when he lets that shot rip and on the power play. Uh, but we've seen what transpired in Columbus. And, you know, this was a guy that was on target and the numbers backed it up with the amount of goals that he scored uh, as, a, you know, under 22 years of age when you're in the same conversation as Gretzky and Howard Chuck and there's not many other names on the list for what he was able to do. Um, you know, he, he was going to command a huge salary and the Jets still weren't sure with his 200-foot game if he was going to be that, you know, typical pure sniper where it's hot and cold and when he's hot it's absolutely uh you know just mind-boggling what the guy can do he can score five in st louis and there was nights when paul Murray said you know he, he probably should have had seven or eight and, and he's not lying uh but then you go a month without a goal and that doesn't lead to winning ultimately and success on your team and the power play got stagnant as good of a weapon as he was the only guy who's ever been consistently able to do it from the same spot for 15 plus years is Ovi and, and Patty's got a great shot and it's so fun to watch, but boy, there would be long stretches where things would just get stagnant and it wouldn't work. Right. And, and the power play goes quiet. And then all of a sudden your elite finishers aren't finishing. So long winded question or, or answer to your question is here in Winnipeg, Rossovic and Line for Dubois has been a huge victory for the Winnipeg Jets. Now, Dubois hasn't exactly lit things up as of yet. Um, and last night, uh, Paul Maurice, finally, he had been playing him with Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor. And even though that line had been producing, and the, the coach kept saying, I love what the line's doing, I love what the line's doing. Pierre-Luc's numbers are, are very average, right? He has six goals, eight assists in, in 21 games now with the Jets. I think people expect more production from that spot and from a player of his talent. The reality is he's the youngest guy in the Winnipeg Jets roster right now. He's 22 years old. Logan Stanley is a first rounder raw rookie coming in after, you know, being a project on the back end. He's actually older than Pierre Luke in the middle and he's playing pretty valuable minutes. So uh, while the numbers haven't been there, the team success has been, and you can see the flashes of brilliance and you can see, the potential in Pierre Luke, um, while it's not coming every night, which is kind of what you get with young players. You know, uh, that's something that Maurice always brings up. He's like, uh, you know, when you get a player now, when you see Nikolai Ehlers now, where what's the difference between him and two, three years ago? It's that he could bring it for one game. And it was one out of four. And then it's two out of four, right? But those other two games, they're kind of a no-show because they're still trying to figure things out. And they're still trying to find ways to contribute when they're not scoring and producing, right? There's still other things that they can be doing. Uh, Pierre-Luc is still in that probably two to three range out of four, whereas Nikolai Ehlers, now a veteran player in this league, has taken the step where he's good every night. You don't worry about him or his game. So... Uh, Dubois has been okay, is how I grade it out. Uh, you know, maybe a C plus, maybe a B student so far. Um, but they're really encouraged by what they see. And the, the luxury that they have here in Winnipeg, obviously, is that he doesn't have to be, right? Patrick Lani goes to Columbus. If he doesn't score 50 goals, there's a good chance that team doesn't make the playoffs. Pierre-Luc comes here. He can put up 14 points in 21 games after a long quarantine and everything that he's dealt with. 
And he's fine because Mark Scheifele's fifth in scoring, right? He's a secondary guy. So last night, Paul Maurice flipped his centers for the first time. We got our first look at Paul Stasny, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Blake Wheeler as a line. And they went all speed with Scheifele, Connor, and Ehlers. Three points for Ehlers. Scheifele with a couple of goals. Connor uh, had two assists in the game. That line was flying against Calgary. They couldn't match the speed and the skill on that line. And then you get this big mountain of a line with the big man in the middle, uh, Pierre-Luc. Blake Wheeler on the wing. We know what he's capable of. And Paul Stasny is a real smart, heady, strong veteran player uh, on the other wing. So, you know, uh, as far as this experiment goes, the first night was good. We'll see where it goes from here. But however they play out, Boy, the Jets have a lot of weapons in their top six. It's been pretty fun on most nights. So that kind of negates the whole problem of when they do get hemmed into their zone, boy, you better count on your goaltender to make big saves. It seems like Stashny and Dubois have been taking reps on the left wing, whether that be alongside Shifley and Wheeler. They've kind of played around with it a bit. How do you think it ultimately falls once they get into the playoffs and who will be the two C when all is said and done? I think it'll be Dubois that they continue to to roll out in the middle, but uh, you know they they work on the faceoffs. You know, depending who's got on their strong side, they'll take the draw. So uh, you can argue who's actually playing in the middle, where they start, where they finish. Two different things, uh, but I think the goal is, and I think Pierre Luc is most effective and um, mo- most comfortable in the middle, and that's where they want him to be. And he he's already like you know. I don't want to undersell what he can do, right? Because he comes back into his own end. He does a lot of the things that the Jets need him to do. So, you know, when I mentioned Line, like Pierre-Luc has been contributing, even if he hasn't been producing huge numbers. And, you know, Coach said a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago now, he just said, you know, he's going to be a power forward in this league. And we know that he's got some real sick mitts. And But everybody's entranced by that playoff series against Toronto last year because he's scoring hat tricks and overtime winners and and everyone's like wow he's going to be this offensive juggernaut it might not be the Connor McDavid Leon Dreisaitl situation where they're both battling you know for 100 plus points he said maybe Pierre Luke grades out at a you know a 75 point player uh, at the end but because of his big body because of what else the Jets have around him and for the role that he's going to play and the talented wingers he's going to have on either side um, you know, that's going to be more than enough production from him. So we'll see where he gets to. But I think Pierre-Luc uh, will stay, for the most part, at center. Although, first couple games, they played him with Shifley and Wheeler to kind of get him comfortable in the Jets' systems, and uh, he didn't look too bad there either. How much pressure is on the Jets to win this year? You know, their cup window is obviously feeling like it's coming to a close a little bit. You know, do they feel the pressure to win right now? Uh, absolutely, that's the plan. I think, um, you know, their their whole big picture plan got blown up by Dustin Bufflin. Let's be honest, right? And his decision and what he did. Uh, they had to. They lost four out of their six defensemen last year, so you knew last year was going to be a transition year. And had they known what was going to transpire and how things were going to play out, um, you know, they probably would have re-signed Ben Sherratt because I think it was a difference of. 500k or whatever it was that the Habs nabbed him or the extra year but they didn't have that information at the time so uh Benny got his deal with Montreal and and it made sense he would have helped kind of stem the tide on the back end the the good news for Winnipeg is that they got a couple of studs playing with the Manitoba Moose in the AHL right now 
that most people, including the GM, you know, when we got back to return to play, he's like, well, I'm foaming at the mouth to see uh, Dylan Sandberg, whose uh, Bulldogs pulled off the miracle, what, six overtime victory uh, against UND on the weekend. And, and he had tried to stick around, right? He went back to college to try to win that third consecutive championship. And then they got shut down by the pandemic last year. Uh, people thought he was NHL ready a year ago. And uh, he comes in, gets his first taste of pro hockey, and they've been able to, you know, be as good as they are in the NHL at this level, playing veteran players who maybe don't have the upside uh, that Sandberg does, um, while kind of letting him adjust to the pro game uh, at the American Hockey League level this year. So he's coming. Billy Hanel is a first-round draft pick. They got a taste last year. He had five points in his first seven games before he got sent down as well. And he's kind of been bouncing around on the taxi squad and may get an opportunity here as well. So the, the idea is that on the back end, they're, they're not as bad as people think right now, not as bad as perhaps they look on paper or on a spreadsheet. Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff coming, uh, lots of it on the left-hand side. So that leaves you with big questions because right now, you know, that pressure on them to win, I think everybody thinks that they've got a great opportunity, right, with with what's going on. Like I said, it's a coin flip, but you take that, right, as opposed to being a long shot uh, to to get through. And if you can sneak out a first round, a real tough first round opponent, you know, if it's the Oilers, if it's the Leafs, whomever, you've taken out a good team and and now you're poised to make a run. And, you know, good goaltending makes a big difference. Having depth makes a difference in the postseason. The Jets are built. To win in that way, uh, as we near the trade deadline, everybody's looking at it and says they need a, you know, they need a stud defenseman. They need a, you know, whether it's Ekholm or get David Savard in there, a top four D man that can come in and play and have impact right now. Uh, and that would absolutely, you know, push them a little higher up, uh, you know, maybe closer to the Tampa Bays of the world, right? And the Vegases and the Colorados, a little closer to that conversation. But it's the waffling with the you know is it worth it for what is a coin flip and you've got the seattle expansion on the you know lingering in the background and so you wonder how that all you know do you want to pay a rental price for matthias ekholm and then you have to decide who you're going to expose you know whether it's dylan Demello, one of your few right shot defensemen on the back end uh you know there's a f- segment of the fan base disappointed with josh morrissey so far and think that uh, they should expose him organization loves him he's not going anywhere so you know do you risk bringing somebody in just for a run fine if it all works out but if it doesn't you might be losing them to seattle in uh, another month's time so um huge question marks it's gonna be real interesting we'll get a tell and i'm sure they're gonna do something but we'll see how big the deal is at the deadline here to bring in a d-man which will probably show their cards a little bit about how good they think their team is but i, I think they I think they think they can win right now. We will see if they can actually do it out on the ice. For a long time, especially since the departures of Buffalo and Myers and Truba, people have often thought that they needed a right shot D, but the emergence of Neil Pionk has kind of set that to rest. As, for all intents and purposes, he's almost emerged as their number one. If they are to add a D, do you think they will put it more on adding a left shot D or a right shot? Uh, it's a good question. Um, Pionk's been great, obviously, and not only you know their most productive defenseman on the uh, on the back end 
you know, putting up points, but he, he's been super physical. He's killing penalties. He's been doing it all plays on the second unit power play. So he, he's been real good. I think big picture, they need someone to play the right side. Now, the interesting experiment uh, that we're learning, knowing that the AHL is going on, that Vili Hainala and Dylan Sandberg have been playing together there, right? They've got Vili playing on his off wing or his offside uh, down on the farm, trying to adjust him to that. There's been about a 10, 15 game stretch here this year where Josh Morrissey tried out playing on the right side. And maybe one of the reasons he's underwhelmed a little bit uh, trying to adjust to that. They also have Tucker Pullman, who's in the mix. Uh, and they've had Nathan Beaulieu, who they've slid over to the right side at times as well. Uh, Long term, I think they do. Like, you know, we were so spoiled here in Winnipeg because on the right side, you had Truba, Buff, and, and Tyler Myers. Say what you will about Tyler Myers, but as a third-pairing defenseman, a uh, pretty effective player uh, and, and was during his time here they, to the point where Truba wanted out because he couldn't get the opportunity to play more minutes on the right-hand side, or they were trying to switch him over to the left-hand side. Apparently, that was one of his his gripes, right? So you had a glut of right-hand talent. Then you get the exodus. Now you're very thin on the right-hand side as far as grade-A talent. So I, I think in a perfect world, you'd want a number one right-hand defenseman that you could bring in. Uh, can you afford to pay him? Who's out there that's available? And are you willing to pay the price? So uh, I'm guessing it's going to be a left-handed D just looking at the market and who's out there unless Chevy pulls off something sneaky, which he's done before. So it wouldn't shock me, but uh, it just doesn't seem like there's much talk about it right now. Is Brian Little's career over? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, sad, sad uh, case. He hasn't played all year. He had, uh, surgery to repair the eardrum and uh, by all accounts and kind of looking at how they've rolled out. Um, I think he took a good look at, at his future and where he's at and the risk of, of coming back and playing. Now, nothing official has come from the team. Obviously, uh, they're going to continue to roll him in long-term injured reserve till the end of his contract and, uh, and he'll be paid out for that. But I, I can't see him returning. Obviously, when we talk about the Jets forward group, we talk about all the elite talent they have up front and Shifley and Connor and Ehlers and whatnot. But I don't think a lot goes into enough about how good that bottom six is, specifically that third line of Cop, Lowry, Appleton, even bringing in a guy like Nate Thompson in the offseason to center that fourth line. And by all accounts, he's been good and done his job. What can you tell us about how of what that bottom six has meant to this group? Well, Andrew Kopp kind of served notice with a four-goal game the other night, right? And I know a couple of tips on that. He's played on the second unit power play in an empty netter, and then he bashes in another rebound. It's not like they were highlight real goals. But, uh, yeah, the production from that uh, third line. And the guy that you didn't mention that really might be the emerging force is Mason Appleton. You know, a six-round draft pick, uh, you know, a kid that played college, and, and nobody really knew what to make of him. He showed up in a development camp and it was like, wow, this guy plays with a lot of fire. And it's like, yeah, you know, he's kind of a, a lightweight kid. Maybe he's a year older than the rest of the guys at development camp. We'll see what he can really do. And went to the American Hockey League, tore it up and uh, has proven his worth this year. He's the guy, if you guys remember, uh, you know, it's way back because we're a pandemic ago and a year ago. But uh, at the, uh, the Heritage Classic out in Regina, they were doing a warm up football game. 
and he blew out his ankle trying to make a touchdown catch in the end zone of the football <laughs> stadium when they were warming up. And it really it derailed his season last year. But he was kind of by the end of the year, he had gotten to this point. Um, and, and this year he, he just drives hard to the net. He plays so well. He's embraced that role that Jack Rossovic didn't want to. Uh, playing on the wing with Cop and Lowry. So, and, and Lowry's a big stud in the middle. And, you know, they're going to have to find money for Lowry and Cop if they're going to keep those guys in the fold. But they've been a huge, uh, they're, they're huge for the coaching staff, I think, because they put them out there. They can play them against the other team's best. And now, like Cop said he, he, last week, you know, he's offended when you say they're the checking line, that they go out there to check. He's like, dude, we're going out there to roll possession to cycle the puck in their end. It doesn't look like the electrifying offense that you get from Ehlers and Connor and Shifley. Uh, it's old school hard work goals and get pucks to the net and bang them in. But they can do that. He said, you know, they're looking for the advantage to go out there and score. They've been real good. And a veteran fourth line, Nate Thompson, there was tons of people here in Winnipeg who were like, what are they doing? You know, they've tried Matt Hendricks a couple of times. They Paul Maurice wants a veteran group on his fourth line that he can trust to put out there. And because of all the talent that they had in house here, you know, whether it was Rossovic or Appleton or uh, the kids that as they were coming up that they, you know, cop was there for a while. Uh, Brandon Tanev o- over the course of, of time on that fourth line, but they were, they were always young, right? And they were either flyweights or they were inconsistent. And so they would get three or four minutes a, a game and it, and it changed the way it tired out their, their top knot, right? Um, and now he can put that line out. He trusts them. Nate Thompson's been better than I would have expected at his age coming in here, but he's fit and meshed perfectly. The key guy on that line, there's actually two of them. One's the resurgence of Matthew Perot in a, contract year and kind of uh you know one of those jumper cable type guys analytically he's always been a smart player and uh has good numbers drives possession uh so so he's been good and kind of returned to form and kind of recaptured a scoring touch playing a real simple game and uh the signing of trevor lewis right came to camp on a pto didn't have a gig got championship pedigree with the LA Kings, you know, to come from LA to Winnipeg, boys, uh, I don't know about you, if you've been here, but there's uh, three inches of snow on the ground today. Uh, <laughs> and the wind is howling at about 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, that's a, that's a guy who wanted to go to a winning environment, and he brings a lot. So he's been real steady. Thompson's been steady. Perot's been good on that line. And they've chipped in the odd goal. I mean, last night, Thompson kicked one in. I don't know how uh, in the name of replay gods, that thing didn't get ter- overturned because if there's a more distinct kick motion, I don't know if I've ever seen it, but, uh, the goal stood up against Calgary. It definitely rattled the flames and, uh, they've been contributing as well. So, uh, the jets are a deep team and they've got another line of young kids that, you know, Paul Marie said, I don't want to leave young guys on the taxi squad this year, just with the unique situation, but he's had to be like Jansen, Jansen Harkins. And uh, Christian Veselainen, who's another former first-round pick, uh, have been lurking and waiting. They just can't get into the lineup because they've been consistently good every night. So they're deep, man. Well, one more for you, and it's something we ask all of our guests. What do you think of the Winnipeg Jets' reverse retro jerseys? They look better in person than they do on a website picture or in a photograph, is how I would describe them. 
uh, you know, fashion is, uh, it's all about taste, right? Uh, some people <laughs> love them. Some people hate them. Uh, I don't mind them personally. Um, I, but I don't love the Jets regular uniforms, the home and the ways. Uh, I, I, even the third alternate that they came up with, the aviator, they call it here. People hate it. It's real basic, uh, just blue and like a script font uh, with a little jet in it. It's real subtle. Uh, again, looks better probably in person than it does uh, when you see it on TV. Um, but I, I almost prefer those to their regular duds that they wear. And of course, the uh, Heritage Classic retros that they wore, those are near and dear to my heart as a guy who grew up in Winnipeg, right? Well, Kevin, thank you very much for taking time here today and coming to talk to us and uh, stay safe out there. You guys too. Thanks a lot. This was fun. Yep. Talk to you soon, Kevin. All right, everybody, that was Kevin O of the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, we got some baffling news during uh, during that segment. Shane Gostisbehere has been put on waivers. Uh, some theorize that there's a major deal on the horizon, which I would like to believe, but no better than to believe that. And uh, I don't know, this coming just days, you know, he spent the last couple days with the media protecting Carter Hart and calling out the team's bullshit after their multiple big losses lately and now all of a sudden he's on waivers hmm is that a coincidence that feels more realistic than some kind of blockbuster trade coming up right now I don't know I mean it seems like the situation with Ghost has been kind of reaching a breaking point for a while yes like like, obviously, like, you and I always say that we don't like to theorize what goes on in the locker room and whatnot. But, like, you've heard rumblings about, like, him not getting along with the coaches or any coach for that matter. Or, you know, kind of being a cancer in there. You know, like, take this for what it's worth. But, like, I met someone. I played hockey with someone who was, like, best friends with his sister or sister-in-law something like that. And... She told me then this was over a year ago that he wanted out. So this was back in late 2019, early 2020. So take that for what it's worth. Probably just hot air. But I mean, usually when there's enough smoke, it means that there is some fire. And going based on his play this season, it doesn't exactly warrant him being on the the, the waiver wire. Like I'm not his biggest fan and he is kind of a liability in his own end at even strength. But he, I'm still not going to sit here and say he deserves to be put on waivers. But that being said, I mean, if this is one step to kind of clearing out that culture in that locker room, I'm all I'm here for it. Uh, I think that maybe it's something them clearing cap space to make a bigger move. Uh, like you said, I'll believe it when I see it. But at the end of the day, I'm just kind of happy that something was done. It's, I mean, that 65-point year was three years ago. He's been on the downturn ever since. He's supposedly been injured through that whole time. He's been in A.V.'s doghouse pretty much since the day he showed up. Um, you know, he, he he's fine. You know, he's not that offensive threat he was when he was a rookie. You know, his offensive numbers just aren't there. His defense is fine, but it's not overlaid anything spectacular. He's just a dude. You know, that that grabbed the hearts of the fan base because once upon a time he was good, which is pretty much all the fucking prospects these days. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's getting, oh, I think he's going to be 28 soon if he's not 28 already. Uh, he's 27. He turns 28 in the end of April. 
Like, you know, he's not young anymore. He's still got two years on that deal. If somebody wants to come in and take it for free, more power to you. Now, if he does get picked up on waivers, no trade ultimately ends up happening. People are going to lose their goddamn minds because people lost their goddamn minds when they lost Mark Friedman a couple weeks ago. So I can't imagine this is going to go over better if no deal is on the horizon. But as far as clearing the culture in the locker room, this feels like the one guy that was more than willing to... Speak up on the culture in the locker room. Talk about how shitty it is. So maybe it's uh, not a way to clear out from that. But listen, getting rid of one of these guys who is part of the old guard, you know, as Goss's beer has been. He's been here for fucking ever. When did he debut? 2015-16 was his first full season. Like, it's been five years. You know, <laughs> even longer than six years. So, I don't know. Getting off the books is fine if anybody picks him up. I can't imagine he makes it through, but with that cap... I can also doubt that some teams would eat that straight up. So, I don't know. I guess we'll have to give it 24 hours and see what happens there. I doubt it. I don't see a team. Like, to be quite honest, like, we're ta- we could like we're sitting here talking about, like, oh, my God, like, it's a big move. Something big is coming. <laughs> this is the first step. And then, like, he'll clear waivers, get put on the taxi squad or go to the Phantoms, and then he'll just be status quo with Eric yep. Gustafson in his place. Like, I mean, that's, that that's more. I feel like that's more likely than, you know, Ryan Ellis coming to town or something. Yeah, like, I, I just, I can't, they, they've given me no reason to jump on that kind of bandwagon, 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 Close enough. and push that narrative. Like, I mean, like, like, come on, man. Like, when we are, like, all here, like, jumping for joy, or not even jumping for joy, but just, like, freaking out <laughs> over Goss's beer being put on the waiver wire, like, you know that we're starved for some kind of different. If I had to make a guess, honestly, I would say that AV just told Fletcher, I can't fucking deal with this guy anymore. He's this, that, and the other thing, and he's not the difference between us winning or losing. Whether or not you agree with that, that's up to you. Uh, like again, based on his on ice play, do I think that he's been the worst? Not by a long shot, but at the same time, I don't think ghost is the key to them making the playoffs or not, or winning games or not. I really don't think so. And either way you shake it, the the coaches don't like him and don't really use him in the optimal way as people like to say. Mm. So look, like in the grand scheme of things, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't bank on anything happening imminently. Because, like, I don't know. It Maybe maybe if someone takes him full on, like, they just eat his entire cap because then it would affect next year's salary cap as well. And that's the other thing here. Like, I've seen a lot of people say, like, well, why didn't they just do this with Gustafson? Well, I mean, Gustafson's off the books at the end of the year. Yeah. And, if, and if I'm not mistaken, they have a decent amount of cap space already for the trade deadline. Do they not? Uh, 4.2. Hero or 4.2 in deadline cap space, according to Cap Friendly. So that that's not uh, that that's, that's not, not nothing. My, no. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing to sneeze at. So, and the thing is, is like, if you're bringing in a guy like Ryan Ellis, you need to free up cap space for beyond this year. Yes. Yeah. And if you get ghosts off the books, that will do that in a big way. Like waving Eric Gustafson will do nothing. He's off the books in what a couple months. So look, I, I understand it. Do I, to be honest, I'm kind of glad because at least something happened. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and expect like a monumental shift in the organization. Yeah, I mean, it's the first piece to fall. But as you alluded to, this is a guy who 
has seemingly been in the doghouse of every single coach in front office that has been here. Um, you know, he was not Dave Haxtell's favorite either. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure Scott Gordon didn't ride him too hard when he was here. It's just like, you know, this is a guy that, you know, we spent all offseason, uh, last offseason talking about, hey, you know, they got to trade him, you know, send him to Detroit and whatever they need to do to take on that contract, you do it. So, uh, maybe they'll lose him for nothing. He has two years left at 4.5, so I, I, I don't. I'd assume there are quite a few teams that have some kind of cap that could be in a desperate need for defense. I don't know off the top of my head what everybody's cap scenario looks like anymore. Um, but, you know, maybe a, a New Jersey team or even Detroit, you know, somebody that could be a little, you know, desperate for some kind of something to happen. You know, he, he could be a guy that maybe in the right scenario could still find some level of success. But, you know, as you alluded to, he's the number five defenseman in Philadelphia right now. And he's not really climbing that ladder and more often than not, he hasn't even been in the lineup this season. So it's not a big loss. Um, quite frankly, you could probably put half this team on waivers and it wouldn't make a single difference at the end of the day anyway. Um, so Ghost, uh, Ghost rather is just uh, maybe the first piece to fall on a giant puzzle. And this time next week, we're talking about some big gigantic trade and all kinds of crazy stuff. But more than likely, he'll just probably be on the taxi squad or something. Yeah, that that's what I'm going for right now because I, I like what kind of change are we really thinking about here? You know, like like you said, he's the number five defenseman. Like, okay, it's a big deal because he's one of these players that have just been here forever, and one of the guys that people like you and I have like constantly been talking about wanting to move on from. And now, after all, like, what, two years of him being continuously on the trade market? Like, what, it was two years ago that I put, that I broke Twitter with the potential yep. trade to Montreal? <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. And, like, I don't know, man. It's, like, again, like, I'm happy that something was done. But at the same time, like, what kind of change or effect can this possibly have? Like in like best case scenario, like I guess you make a big deal, but look at the Predators. Like they're they're in a playoff spot right now. I really don't think I, I personally don't think the Predators are gonna sell besides maybe a Mikhail Grandland or a Kelly Yarncrock or something like that. I don't think they're gonna move Ellis or Ekholm at least by the trade deadline. I, I just I'm not expecting anything major no. until the offseason when it comes to the Flyers. And as for ghosts, I really like and obviously this is just speculation. And because of the way he's played on on the ice, I really just think it's something that was wrong in the dressing room and something with his attitude and whatnot. And there is that, you know, that history of him knocking along with all the coaches he's ever had at the NHL level. So look like I mean, like great. They moved on from a player seemingly because for all we know, he could just clear waivers and be back in on the roster tomorrow night. That is true. Which, would you be shocked? No. Exactly. So, I don't know, man. It's just, I don't mean to come off as negative or, like, not get excited because something's, like, on the horizon. But, like, what could it possibly be? Like, even if it's, like, they, like, I, I had a buddy here who like and obviously he's a montreal fan he's one of my best friends i've known for a long time he texts me just like shane gossespierre for paul byron like i mean <laughs> i'm just like fuck like honestly something stupid like that would probably happen at which point i'd rather just keep shane gossespierre yeah i, I mean that contract is bad his play is not great 
You know, it doesn't take a genius. You know, I was arguing with people on Twitter yesterday about the expansion draft and, you know, moving on from you know, Voracek and people like that, you know, the bigger contracts. And it's like, it doesn't take a genius to pull up, you know, Google and <laughs> pull up their NHL.com page and find out that, hey, they're not producing. This contract doesn't match the player. You know, Ron Francis can't be that fucking stupid. And I don't think most teams are going to be either. You know, the secret's out on Gostas Bear. I'm sure some team, I'm, I'm sure he could fit somewhere. Uh, you know, there's probably some team that could use a player like him and would, would be willing to take the risk. But I don't know. Clearing all this cap seems odd. Because if it was a trade, wouldn't you just package him in the trade if you need to clear all the cap to, to go? Maybe the other team wouldn't want him. But uh, I don't know. It's a weird situation that, you know, hey, maybe it does lead to something. Like I said, maybe we're talking a big trade and they replaced six defensemen next week and all this and that. But as you alluded to, Nashville is more or less back in the playoff hunt. I don't think they're going to part with their top two defensemen right now. Just for funsies. You know, they're probably going to hold on to it. Outside of those two, there's not a whole lot of shit happening in the trade market right now, you know? There's not a lot of big options out there, not a lot of big fish, and, you know, it's too early to start prepping for the offseason. So I don't know what uh, what this ultimately leads to besides maybe just putting him on the taxi squad for a little bit and as, as a punishment for speaking out or something. I have no idea, but I don't know. Like you said, I'll believe it when I see it as far as some kind of big major twist in the story here. Well, it's and then, you know, you want just to talk a bit about last night's game and, you know, like AV benched fair. And I don't even want to say benched because I fully believe that was AV saying to like the quote unquote veterans on the team. Just like, (laughs) yeah, just like, you know what? You guys are going to do this on your own. Yes. You're not going to get the help of like these guys who, well, I I wouldn't put Patrick in that group. But you're not going to get Farabee driving the offense. You're not going to get Limblum fighting for you. Like, you're going to do it on your own. And, like, yes, it worked. I agree. But, again, it was against Buffalo. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. I think it was Charlie O'Connor who said it was the the exact, like, definition of an irresistible force hitting an immovable object. (laughs) Like, and it was perfectly described. But, like... Yeah, they came back, they beat Buffalo, but Jesus Christ, Buffalo is awful. Like, literally, Tage Thompson missing the empty net at the end just describes Buffalo in one sequence. That could have been an entirely different game had he nailed that one. Yeah, so, like, look, like, I'm happy to an extent that the leaders at least showed some pride and were able to score that goal. But, like, again, on ice, guys like, Kevin Hayes and Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek, like they've been all more times than not, like the best players, have they not? Seemingly, yeah. I mean, you'll get hot streaks from Fairbilly who's gone cold lately, and you know Patrick and Konechny have been around the net but aren't producing much of anything. You know, night in and night out, the people who are doing the scoring have been Giroux and, and Voracek has been you know racking up some helpers, but it, you know Hayes has been fine. He hasn't been the two way force that he was last year, but I mean he's chipping an offense. Like for the most part, it, it is the veterans that have been carrying the flag for for the team most of the year. And you know, as you alluded to, I think that's what the test was last night, which was you, know, you go out there and you win this game or lose this game on your own. You're not getting any help. And they won. And the thing about that is none of those goals were overly spectacular. All three of them were rebounds. It was just getting to the fucking net and working a little harder, you know, to get them in there. And give, like, me, give me one second. Someone just try my do- doorbell, okay? Okay. I'll keep ranting. Don't worry. But um, you know, it, it was hard work. 
that scored those goals last night. And, and and that's the one thing above all that bothers me. You know, this was not an Alex Ovechkin snapshot. This is not a highlight reel goal. This was just fucking a guy working hard. You know, the Giroux rebound, I believe Kateri had one. I think Hayes was the other one. Um, I don't know if that last goal was Kateri's or not. I think they credited to somebody else. Anyway, regardless, you know, it's just about... You know, the, the effort level. And I don't think we saw a lot of that, you know, for most of that game. You know, the Sabres are just coming through and outplaying them in the first two periods. They're getting outworked. You know, <coughs> Sorry about that. Can you edit try... it out? I was ranting this whole time, Anthony. If you're, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, if you're going through and, and working through what these Sabres are doing, like, they, they just got outworked in the first two periods. You know, the Sabres just wanted it more than they did. They're out there skating around in Giroux postgame. The uh, the local feed here, the Flyers, they interview players after the game, and it was Giroux, and he's sitting on the bench. You know, he was out for the OT, so he's, you know, breathing his ass off. But it's like, he's angry on the bench, and I believe one of the things he said postgame was always, Oh, I'm frustrated. Yeah, no shit, you're frustrated. Why do you have such a shitty effort the first 40 minutes and have to fight your ass off to beat the Buffalo Sabres late in the game? Like, come on! Where is that effort in the first, you know, 40 minutes? Why can't you play a 60-minute game against the Sabres, for Christ's sake? Try a little harder! That's all I fucking ask. Give me that effort you had in the third period to the whole game. You should not be difficult to beat the Sabres, but they made it difficult. For Christ's sake, this team. Well, well, that's the other thing, is that... The thing is, is that... And we saw it against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, where they played like crap, and then in the last three minutes, they turned into the Soviet Union Red Army team, and they dominated them. And is it not almost more concerning that they clearly have the talent to dominate certain teams, and they just choose not when to? When they for want large to, they stretches? can turn it on and play great. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often. And it's like, and I think it was Russ Joy who said this, that like, is it not concerning that A.V. had to pull a stunt like that yep. and shorten the bench? I was against like, the... I'm glad it worked, but at the same time, it's like, why the fuck did it get to that point in the first place? You know? Like, Jesus Christ. Well, it's because, like, why, like, teams that are, and again, I don't want to theorize about what's going on in the room, but it's like, Teams that are running like a well-oiled machine and everything's gelling well don't pull stunts like this. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, like, unless, like, you're built that way, let's say, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs that, like, the the entire way they're structured is top-heavy. Top yeah. And But, like, the Flyers' in, entire identity or so-called identity was depth. Yeah. Endless depth. They have so much depth. The deepest team in the NHL, and then you shorten your bench against the Sabres? Like, and that is bench. deep in the coaching books of tricks right there. Like, A.V. pulled that card way up from his sleeve, you know, to bench all of his rookies and his young kids and let the vets do it themselves. Like, that's desperation level right there. And I, and I do think that it was, a, and you were the one who wrote about this last week, about A.V. and Chuck not being on the yep. same play page. Like, I think it was a shot across the bow at Fletcher to an extent. Like, look, these are the players that you have so much confidence in and we're not going to we're going to ride or die with them and we can't overanalyze this season. Like, this is what you're going to get. And look, like, I guess like it worked and maybe it proved Fletcher well to an extent, however you want to phrase it. But at the same time, like it's the Sabres and just the fact that you had to pull a stunt like that against the Sabres yes. 
It's alarming. Like, how? Like, I don't care that they came back and won. You were down 3 nothing to Buffalo going into the third. I don't know, man. It's just, it's very, like, the fact that it's it's just concerning. And the fact that they come back and win and sometimes come back and dominate like this, like I said before, it makes it more alarming because it's just like, oh, you guys are choosing not to play. You guys are picking and choosing when to play. And then, yeah. like, the report from Kiprios comes out that there's a rift between the vets and the the young guys. And who knows if there's any truth to that. But it's it's That's another something we theorized in- before. Pardon me? That's something we've theorized before. You know, that Farabee and company are not getting the opportunity to lead because the old guys aren't letting them. But it, it would make perfect sense, would it not? Yeah, I mean, li- listen, I, I talked about this in one of the past shows. Maybe it was freaking Flyer. Like, you're running out of fingers to point at people that are not named, you know, Giroux and Voracek and Hayes and, you know, JVR. All these old guys that have been here for fucking ever. You know, like, at some point or another... They're the ones at fault here. And, like, we, we always preface this by saying we don't like to talk about us going to the locker room because we're not there. But at some point, you know, who else could it be? You know? I, I think there's just there just seems to be a riff with everyone, right? You know, Fletcher and A.V. don't seem to be on the same page. A.V. and the players don't seem to be on the same page. The players themselves don't seem to be on the same page. And it just turns into this big pile of shit that we're dealing with now. And there is no easy way out of this, but... You know, maybe moving Gosses Bear is a, you know, uh, you're either sending a message or you're looking for a deal elsewhere or, or hopefully it leads to something more than just, hey, we put Gosses Bear on waivers because we feel like it, you know? I just, it's, I they can't, I how are we still here? Like, how many years now? Seven years later? How are we still here? I don't know. Like, in... You know, I put out a tweet yesterday talking about how I respected how the Rangers did their rebuild. About, and I referenced, like, their top four on defense. And that top four looks like it's going to be set for a hell of a long time with Lindgren and Fox and Miller and Truba. And that they traded for three of those four. And then you get a wave of people who are just like, yeah, but... Those guys fell into their lap, and that's a desired destination. Like, it's not the Flyers' <laughs> fault that nobody wants to come here. Like, the Rangers have it easy. I'm just like, really? That That's where we're at. We're going to start making excuses. Like, for God's sakes, we just talked to Kevin from Winnipeg, and I can tell you that is the least desired destination in all of the NHL. And yet they found a way to make that work. Like, they traded for Dubois. They traded for Pionk. They drafted well. Like, the Montreal Canadiens, the same thing. Like, you think players want to come to Montreal with the elevated taxes and, like, the the language thing and all, and, like, the crazy fan base? But Mark Bergevin was arguably the most active general manager over the last six months. Like, I'm sorry, you find a way to make it work. You deal with the cards you're dealt. I can't stand... This whole, like, well, you know, we can't do what the Rangers did because no one wants to come here. Like, it's not our fault people want to go to New York. No, people want to go to New York. But you don't think that it has to do with the fact that that operation is being run well. Isn't it sad that nobody wants to come here anymore? Philadelphia used to be the destination. What the fuck happened? Ron Hextall yeah. took over, sank the fucking ship, and you know, put the mediocre seed in both the fan base and the players, and we're here today being fucking mediocre, and everybody's okay with it. 
Twitter is melting down right now because Shane Goss' bear is on waivers. For Christ's sake, this fan base cried their little eyes out a month ago because they lost Mark fucking Friedman on waivers. You know, they're, they're totally fine being mediocre. No wonder why this isn't a hotspot desert. Would you want to play for this team that almost lost to the fucking Buffalo Sabres last night? <laughs> Fuck no. Come on. This isn't rocket science. And I think it was Anthony Sanfilippo who said, and I'm so excited to get him on tomorrow. That's going to be a great episode. Oh, yeah. But he, I think it was him and Russ Joy on the Snow the Goalie podcast basically said that their number one priority, and correct me if I'm wrong, and if I am wrong, we'll get corrected tomorrow when Anthony's <laughs> on and we can ask him ourselves, but that they said that their number one priority was getting Pietrangelo this, this past offseason. He's just like, don't even bother. Yep. Like, is that not an issue? Is that not an issue that people don't even look like they literally had to trade for the rights for Kevin Hayes to like a month before he became a free agent and then had to law. It took them what two and a half, three weeks to get that deal done. Yep. Like, I'm sorry. Like, and the rumor the entire time was that he doesn't want to fucking be here. <laughs> well, I, I, and oh, who, God. Who knows, but, like, and look, I, I still think that was a good signing. Like, it was just coming off of the era that they did, they needed that signing. Yes. But, I mean, at this point, who the fuck knows? Maybe they should have just blown it up that right then and there. But, I mean, it's just, I don't understand how people are okay with just chalking it up to bad luck. And, oh, poor us, no one wants to play in Philadelphia. Like, for God's sakes, they signed Danny Briere to what, an eight-year, $64 million contract the year after they finished last? Like, come on. Like, they've been through... Wor- well, actually, no. They've never been through an era like this. But the point <laughs> still stands that, like, this is their own doing. Yes. They allowed Hextel to instill this culture, and then they brought in Fletcher to try and save this plan, and he hasn't done it. And I'm sorry. It's just... It's reaching a boiling point now, and it's honestly getting to a, a, a point now where I don't know if this organization will ever get back to where it was. The theories on Twitter are insane. Some people think that they're making the move uh, for Nashville, for Eckholm or somebody. And I saw other people suggest that this may be a lifeline to the Florida Panthers to replace Aaron Ekblad. I mean, their gift to him for uh, being so nice as to put him on waivers and picking him up for literally nothing. <laughs> I mean, who like if they pick like the thing is, is that like I don't think you're gonna get anything for Goss's beer via nothing trade. Substantial, no. Like they could have gotten rid of him this past off season in a Mark Stahl type of trade, but Fletcher didn't want to pay to get rid of him. Yes, he wanted to get something for him. He's been playing, quote-unquote, well this season, you know, relatively speaking to where he was last year, and people still don't want him because of the cap number. Like, at the end of the day, he's still a third-pairing defenseman making $4.5 million a year for another two. So I guess the thing is, is that if you could just get out from under it and wash your hands and you don't have to give up an asset, isn't it a win at that point? You would think so. But they so, could have dealt him for something. They could have gotten an asset back. That's all Herbert Friedman left. Well, they could have got something for him. You know, like a sixth-round pick. Well, it's something, Daniel. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Oh, Christ. It's just so sad about... I don't 
And then, you know, you, you have, like, do you think it's a, it's an ownership problem? Like, I've heard a lot of people say that the business ops of the Flyers is just a fucking travesty right now. It doesn't help that nobody is at the helm that gives a shit. You know, obviously, when you go from Ed Snyder to, you know, Dave Scott, who's just a, you know, Comcast talking head, you know, versus somebody that, you know, their entire passion was the Flyers. It's a huge downgrade. And there's nobody there to kick Chuck Fletcher in the ass either. You know, to there's no the, the, the president. We've talked about that quite a bit over the last few weeks. And the president versus the GM. They, you know, Fletcher's everything. He's the entire front office right now. You know, there there's no condescending opinions, no opposite opinions, no differing opinions to try and to, to deal with Fletcher. You know, this is not a Hextall-Burke situation where you have, you know, the good, <laughs> the, the angel and devil on your shoulders kind of thing. Yeah, this is just Fletcher at the helm, and he doesn't feel like he's going to do something. Certainly not something substantial. And, you know, Dave Scott just feels like he's there to sign the checks, more or less. You know, and, and it just feels like a very listless, shit, uh, listless ship up front. And then you got a you know team full of players that don't give a shit either, and that doesn't help. And you don't have the, the the front office to shake up the players that need it so badly. So it's just a a real bad circle that they're in right now that they they got to break. I just I you know I keep saying that I'm gonna give Fletcher till the end of the off season because I think he earned that. And I'm trying to understand about the COVID season and this and that. But it just seems like as this clown show continues to go on and like, well, I guess he did something today. But I mean, again, as much as people want to make it out to be something substantial, it really isn't. Like, I mean, I listen to Toronto radio all the time. TSN National Radio. And they were talking about Gosses Beer and Jamie McLennan, who used to play in the NHL, was saying like, He's a bad defenseman. Like, he's straight up a liability out there. So, like, that gives you kind of a national view or a league-wide opinion on what people think of Shane Goss's beer. And people want to think because he does a button hook at the blue line and, like, throws it on net that he's Jesus Christ. But, like, <laughs> at the end of the day, he's just a third-pairing defenseman. And to be quite honest... On a good blue line, he probably doesn't see more than 13, 14 minutes a night. And so the point still stands where who is going to be able to pay a guy to play those types of minutes while making four and a half million dollars. Apparently and... there's two people missing from Flyers practice today. One of them is Alain Vio and the other is Claude Giroux. Huh. Interesting. They're setting a war council with Fletcher to figure out how to get... Shane Gossesbear is there. He's in the picture. <laughs> so that must be awkward. But uh, maybe they're a war council with the GM, coach, and <laughs> captain to figure out what the fuck is going on here. <laughs> Imagine, like, Fletcher comes out, like, tomorrow, and she's like, yeah, it was just a paper move to bank some caps. <laughs> 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 oh, God. That's probably the likely outcome. Just letting everyone know. I, I I would think so as well. Maybe, you know, keeping them on the uh, taxi squad and, you know, clearing waivers. You have, what, 30 days for waivers or something like that before you have to go through them again. So maybe it's just a move, you know, for the trade deadline so you don't have to deal with any of this shit then. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just my uh, 
ever pessimistic attitude towards his team, but I, I don't think anything of substance is really coming. Maybe they're going to find somebody. Maybe there's some deal, but it won't be anything substantial. I just don't, I just don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. How about that? That's a fair assessment. Oh my God. Uh, I'm just really <laughs> excited to get into it with Anthony Sanfilippo tomorrow. Yeah, we got uh, Anthony Sanfilippo returning to the show tomorrow and uh, picked a good time to do it, I guess, as well. Yeah. No. We'll be interviewing him before noon, though, so we won't know the fate of Shane Goss's bear just yet uh, by then, probably. But uh, I don't know. It's an interesting move for sure. That was not something I was expecting to rant about on the show today, was the fate of Shane Goss's bear, but here we the fuck are. <laughs> well, I mean, at least it's something, right? At least it's something other than the status quo. So I at least appreciate them for giving us something original to talk about. Yeah. I, uh, while we're still on air here, I'll give you one more thing. I wrote a piece today about not resigning Sandheim, mainly to deal for his contract. So you don't have to deal with his contract, I should say. And, of course, the Sandheim defenders came rushing to his aid. And somebody said that they would rather get rid of Ivan Provorov than they would Travis Sanheim. Do you uh, agree with that? <laughs> Look, um, I, I think I said this last week or something. Like, I almost kind of want them to trade Ivan Provorov and give the keys to the kingdom to, like, Sanheim and Myers and Ghost and Zamula and just watch Provorov go dominate on another team with a half respectable supporting cast and then just watch this flounder because you know what like i'm i'm so sick of people like picking like trying to like look beyond what they see and be like you know it's actually the number one defenseman's fault and it's not because we have a bunch of bottom pair defensemen surrounding him like it's just asinine it's stupidity like if you want to say that you don't think ivan Provov's ever going to be an elite defenseman or even a number one fine more power to you but to say you want sanheim over him is just complete stupidity like that's where i draw the line because then that's just proving you don't know hockey because even people who aren't high on provrov like i am will say he's a very high-end number two and he's he's a hundred percent better than travis sanheim and everyone else on that blue line but when you start talking nonsense about Sanheim and or Gossespierre and or Myers are better, that's when I just don't even have the time to converse with you. If Gossespierre clears waivers and goes to the taxi squad, that's $1 million, $1.07 million they'd clear up in cap space. Right. So maybe bring Nate Thompson back for that much? That'd be sweet. I hear he's Apparently he's doing off. just fine in Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's actually, by advanced stats, he's like their best defensive forward or something. Aside from Lowry and Cop or something, I think. Did you see him kick that puck in last night? Did you see that highlight? Holy Jesus. <laughs> it's funny, man, because like people like everyone just shit on Nate Thompson and like the deployment that he was used. But to be quite honest, like he actually, it actually kind of worked aside from that one bad play where AV put him out right after a goal, but it actually worked. If you go by the numbers. Yeah. That, uh, hang on. 
I'm baffled. <laughs> it's, uh... I was really ready to come on the show and just scream my little heart out how they lost last night. I was getting my rants prepared and everything, and they come back and won and make it a null and void point, even though it's so stupid, but... <sighs> yeah. I don't got anything else. You got anything else? No, and I think we're going to do a d- deeper dive tomorrow. Yeah, well, Anthony Sanfilippo back uh, tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And uh, beyond that, it may be a quiet week. Maybe I'll try and get Shane on sometime later in the week. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much it for the uh, for the time being here for the week. Um, I didn't do a show yesterday, did I? No. No. We're all caught up. <laughs> at Dan the Flyer <laughs> fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Uh, plenty of stuff coming up on Brotherly Puck this week. We'll follow up with the Shane Gossesburg news as necessary as well. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Demarco 25 All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.